welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending August 5th, 2023. This week, we question the accuracy of the name Max. I'm Kim Hollis, digital advertising guru and currently embroiled in the great treadmill controversy. I don't know what that is. We want to know what that is. <laughs> we'll tell you about it here in a second. Uh, with me are Tim Bridey, content creator and gamer trying to use the phone. Hey kids, today's secret word is Zaslav. You know what to do when you hear today's secret word, right? Ah! I think we already did that whenever we heard that secret word. Yes. Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride, streaming media analyst, and someone who slept through the great treadmill controversy. I am utterly useless to Kim in every way. <laughs> Long story short, we bought a treadmill. It tried to be delivered. It was broken. The people who showed up to build it were aggravated. And now we're waiting for it to be picked up and returned. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's just announced that he's moving to another conference. I don't know which one yet. No one's taking my calls. Anyone? Anyone, please. <laughs> In our deep dive this week, it was Warner Brothers Discovery's turn to go before Wall Street to present their quarterly earnings. Raul, how did it go? Well, their big summer superhero blockbuster, The Flash, bombed. They missed estimates and their combined streaming services lost 1.8 million subscribers. David, how do you think Wall Street reacted? <laughs> The stock is up $1.43 since the announcement, but if you want to look at the meta perspective, at least it's still down $2 from what it was at in February. But yes, everything about this was bad and the stock went up. Yeah, to be fair, they have two bits of good news. The first one is entirely cynical. Warner Brothers Discovery free cash flow doubled in the quarter. That's because, of course, with two strikes underway, the studio can't produce anything, so they're not spending any money. And as we've discussed, bonuses for studio executives are now tied to free cash flow since trying to tie it to stock price wasn't earning them any bonuses. It's almost like they wanted a strike so they can make their bonuses. Yeah, I just want to say this is an example of two different stories we've previously discussed somehow coming together in the most unexpected way. That's what happened here in that we had said they want this strike because they want to improve their cash flow and because they don't do any content anybody wants at this point. That's the only way to do it is if they stop paying people. And on top of that, we previously discussed Zaslav's changes to his own contract and that of executives. And at the time, I referred to it as him giving himself a force multiplier based on, you guessed it, folks, cash reserves. David Zaslav just set up this entire thing and is forcing people to strike so that his personal bonus is better. That's a real thing that's happening. And the truth is that the only way that Warner Brothers Discovery is making any money right now is by cutting, cutting, cutting. We've seen it over the last year, the layoffs, the content that got erased. They're actually creating lost media. Also, they can take tax breaks. Their linear offerings remain their biggest revenue generator, but it is shrinking quarter over quarter, year over year. We know that linear is dying. In the meantime, their streaming services are losing subscribers. There is no growth at the company. They are simply shrinking the company in order to make it so that it looks like they have some kind of revenue. Long term, this is how you kill a company. Yeah, I don't actually know what Zaslav's credentials are. 
far in terms of business education. I know that he's recently spoken at a graduation and pretend like he was good at business, but apparently the man has never heard the maxim, you got to spend money to make money because they're just not going to spend money until such time as somebody buys them. That's all this is. But I did say that there were two bits of good news. And the second bit of good news is coming up next quarter, David. And what is that? So the one thing about this quarter is basically Warner Brothers Discovery got none of the Barbie bump for this. That film wasn't released at the end of the quarter, which means that, you know, Barbie is well on its way to making at least 500 million domestically and at least a billion dollars worldwide. None of that is in this quarter, which means they will show growth next quarter because they accidentally stumbled into a very successful movie. Which essentially buys them three months of good graces with Wall Street. They're going to come out next quarter and say, look at this massive growth we had. And Wall Street's going to reward them for that with an expectation that it's going to be sustained. And of course, they can't. It's not like they can do another Barbie the following quarter. It's going to be essentially apocalyptic six months from now. Why Wall Street continues to reward Warner Bros. Discovery and David Zaslav is beyond me. I don't understand it. Essentially, this company is already up for sale, even though they can't officially say it yet because there are contractual agreements and because the government won't let them sell the company so soon after they just bought it. But within a few months, that for sale sign will be out there and they're going to all point to Barbie and say, look, we are a successful company. And everyone else is going to say, yeah, but what else you got other than Barbie? And it's going to be a really tough sell. Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying you do not believe in the upcoming Blue Beetle project? (laughs) (laughs) You never know. Oh, they, they keep leaning into that. Oh, it's it's, it's going to be a comedy. Oh, it's got that Latino audience. Uh, I mean, there's potential there, but I, I don't buy it. In our rapid fire, it was reported this week that Bob Iger is calling in some backup. Yeah, Tom Staggs and Kevin Meyer, the former Disney executives now heading up Candle Media, have apparently been recruited by Bob Iger to help him decide how to move forward. Yeah, the first thing we need to keep in mind, at one point, Tom Staggs had won a bake-off and seemed like he was going to be the successor to Bob Iger at Disney. And I think we've reached a point now where literally everyone involved with Disney wishes that it happened. Instead, Iger decided he wasn't ready to go yet, kind of put a knife in Staggs' back, Staggs left, and we ultimately wound up with Bob Chappick. Bob Chappick was specifically picked over Kevin Meyer. So you can see here how there might be some awkwardness to this entire conversation. Meyer was the architect of Disney's Marvel acquisition, their Star Wars acquisition, their Bamtech acquisition, and Disney Plus as a whole. He also had a hand in the Fox acquisition. We're talking about some of the most important things ever. Meyer was involved. Both men held lofty C-suite positions within Disney and also had Iger's ear. He trusts both of them, which makes it that much odder that neither one of them became his successor and instead someone he never really seemed to care for, Chappick, stubbornly bulldogged his way until such a point where his tenacity earned him the job, which ultimately undid Disney. We're now at a point where Iger is trying to sell some stuff, and it looks like when he went on live television and said, I'm absolutely desperate, somebody come to me and make a deal, people lowballed him offers because he was absolutely desperate. Iger isn't willing to sell his pieces for anything less than what he considers their value, so he's gone out to his old friends, Staggs and Meyer, who have very politely overlooked past transgressions, and they have said, sure, we will help you find buyers for some of your linear assets. 
because as the people running Candle Media, as the people with our Blackstone connections, we can get a lot of interested parties for this. And oh, by the way, we can also see the actual status of Disney. And maybe one of us actually comes back to replace Iger as CEO. I'm getting ahead of myself when I think that way. But I've said since Iger came back in November of 2022, literally three days later, I wrote an article saying that either Staggs or Meyer was the most likely person outside the company to replace them. Internally, I still believe it's either Dana Walden or Josh Tomorrow. But the fact that they're not involved in this probably indicates they're nervous about this news update. I wrote this week that if I were them, I would be deeply uncomfortable with the fact that Iger has reached out to old friends rather than relying on them more. Yeah, I've been I've been making noise that Candle Media essentially was a shadow opportunity by Staggs and Meyer to get back into Disney. Maybe at some point they get an offer to buy Candle Media. This is the company that owns Coco Melon. That is their big asset, although they have others. They own the Reese Witherspoon production company, Hello Sunshine. They own uh, Bippy, the other kids program. They own a number of different products, which I think would be great assets for Disney. And for them to put together a portfolio and then bring it to Disney for them to buy seemed like an excellent move. And that seems to be maybe what is happening here. And by bringing them into the company, it would be like an, what's that term they use? An aqua hire, the way that Apple bought Next, essentially, so they could get Steve Jobs as their CEO again. Right. You're buying for the talent, not the company's assets. Exactly. I would say that if Staggs and Meyer are talking to Bob Iger, despite the previous awkward it's because there is a lot of potential on the table here. And yes, maybe Meyer has to convince Bob Iger to sell some things, despite Meyer being the guy who was involved in so many different acquisitions. I would say that, yes, maybe Disney can sell ABC. Yes, maybe Disney could sell ESPN. But that's only so they can get enough money that they can then buy other things, like maybe the Comcast share of Hulu or other things like Candle Media. You're selling some things so you can buy other things. You sell the things that are shrinking in revenue so you can buy things that are going to grow in revenue. This is the first sign of positivity and good news to come from Bob Iger since he's returned to the company. I think that he's finally moving in the right direction. It's just taken him a long time to get there. And the other thing I want to point out here that does matter to this conversation, at least in my estimation, we keep saying Stags or Meyer as if it's an either or and it doesn't necessarily have to be because if we go back in time to Disney history one of the times of extreme prosperity for them they went out and got Michael Eisner but Eisner did not come alone he also brought someone I consider the brains of the operation in Frank Wells and Wells was basically the sounding board for all of Eisner's crazy ideas and Wells had this rare profound instinct to identify when something was going to work versus when it wouldn't. And frankly, Eisner went off the rails after Frank Wells tragically died in a helicopter crash. If you know your Disney history, you understand the fact that that happened in 1994 and the second half of the 1990s, that's when the so-called Disney decade absolutely collapsed. Wells kept them in check. I think that a Meyer Staggs combo as heads of Disney makes a lot 
of business sense. Indeed. By no means is this unprecedented. Meyer and Staggs right now are co-leading Candle Media. It's working for them. And in fact, one of the most successful entertainment companies in Hollywood right now, Netflix, has co-CEOs with Ted Sarandos and Greg Peters. One of them is in charge of the business of the company, and the other one is in charge of the content of the company. So it makes sense to divide things that way. And so long as each one knows what their responsibilities are, it works very well. And so far, Staggs and Meyer have demonstrated that they can work very well together. And in mergers and acquisitions news, Hasbro has finally offloaded their E1, or Entertainment One, production company to Lionsgate. What does Lionsgate get out of the deal? They get Barbie, right? Right? Transformers, Barbie, G.I. Joe? <laughs> no, they, they get none of the IP that that's, you would associate with Hasbro. That's right. The important thing here is what they don't get. First and foremost, Barbie is Mattel, not Hasbro. So Barbie can't play with the Transformers and G.I. Joe, David. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I should have known that because my first wife actually used to work with Mattel and I visited that building. So that's my bad. <laughs> Yeah, you get all your important toy news on streaming into the void, folks. <laughs> other other things that E1 is not going to get is, of course, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Wizards of the Coast, which is Magic the Gathering, Magic the Gathering and, yep. and Dungeons and Dragons, and other properties that Hasbro actually acquired when they once bought E1, like Peppa Pig and PJ Mask. PJ Mask being one of the most successful and popular kids programs on Netflix. I don't understand what you're describing. This sounds like they just bought Apple, but don't get any of the tech. Well, there is some stuff they get, except it's weird fringe stuff that you wouldn't ever have associated with Hasbro. David, I think you saw a list. Yeah, yeah. And let's say 2014, Entertainment One actually had the bright idea that content was becoming more important and they started acquiring small companies for their assets. And since then, they have released several noteworthy films on their own. They're the distributor for Spotlight, won a Best Picture. Their distributor for Green Book, which won a Best Picture. They also did a film I love called Molly's Game. They have done a lot of these like unique projects like Lion, and they've even done a franchise. They've done Now You See Me too. So we're talking about somebody who has had their finger in the box office pie for a while, but kind of at a distance. And so now Lionsgate has just seen an opportunity to secure new IP that has at least some value as a content catalog. Indeed, there was another awards contender in The Woman King that was an E1 production that Lionsgate now owns. And there is some TV content as well. The ABC show, The Rookie, and its spinoff, I think it's The Rookie FBI. Both of those shows are produced by E1 and Lionsgate now owns them. I think Lionsgate is trying to position themselves more as a prestige shingle similar to A24. And I think having bought a production company known for distributing Academy Award winners is a good move for them. Uh, in fact, the fact that they were able to spin off Stars, their cable and streaming service, which was an albatross for them, and immediately move towards acquiring a production company known for some prestige content is a very clever move for Lionsgate. And I think they are positioning themselves very well, especially right now, given the position Hollywood is in with the writers and actors strikes. A24 and Lionsgate, neither of them are 
members of the ANPTP, and that is the consortium that is being struck against, which means that Lionsgate can continue to produce movies and TV shows while other studios like Universal, Paramount, and Disney cannot. Lionsgate can because they have agreed to the terms of the writers and the actors. So they're getting these waivers and they continue to produce content while most of Hollywood is shut down. And in addition to The Rookie, they also do reality television as well. Probably their most successful series is Siesta Key, which is an MTV offshoot that's already had five seasons really exploding in popularity lately. And then they also do the wildly popular Naked and Afraid on Discovery Channel, which shows you they have their fingers in a lot of pies. And just want to point out, Lionsgate getting a huge deal here because this apparently cost them $500 million, which just feels like pocket change in terms of entertainment transactions these days, especially since apparently when Hasbro bought E1, it cost them $4 billion. And that was just, oh, four years ago in 2019. Yeah, I will say there's a little bit of context to that where they have sold some of what they bought for parts. For example, they sold the entire music library. So it is not just a flat loss of $3.5 billion. Oh, okay. But it's like, wait, how, they're not taking a giant bath on that. Okay. They are taking a bath, just not as savage as it might sound. All right. Guys, one more rapid fire story before we close it out. AMC Networks, the company that owns a number of different cable channels that you're familiar with, like AMC, BBC America, which they co-own with uh, BBC Studios, IFC, and Sundance, had their quarterly earnings this week. And it was it was a debacle. They started by saying that their subscriber numbers for their previous quarter on their streaming services had to be recalculated, and they recalculated it for 300,000 fewer subscribers than they had previously reported. And that was the start of the bad news because they also indicated that they had lost more subscribers this quarter. They have missed estimates. Their ad revenue is down. It's pretty much all bad news for them, except for after all this news broke, their stock price went up dramatically and they are currently trading at something like eight and a half percent higher than before they reported their quarterly earnings and if you're wondering why my speculation is amc networks at this point is in such bad financial turmoil that it seems very likely that someone's going to buy them 11 million subscribers basically means that they're down you know five percent they've taken a shave and that's how ridiculous this whole thing has gotten as a reminder last week we talked about netflix who reported nothing but financial triumphs and their stock went down because people decided they had overinflated what netflix was worth now we're seeing the opposite where people are looking at warner brothers discovery and amc and they're going well these places are so screwed they're going to have no choice but to sell when they sell the stock price will go up so i might as well use some of my netflix money I got last week and put it in something with more percentage-wise growth potential. And that's the madness of whenever we bring Wall Street into these conversations, folks. It is not about the success of the company. In many cases, it's about the failure and how to capitalize on the incompetence of others. All right, Tim, is there anything to talk about from the box office this weekend? Yeah, we still need to talk about how Barbenheimer has saved the box office in 2023. Last weekend, Barbie had a second weekend of just 93 million. What the heck? Oppenheimer, 46.7 million. Both movies continue to do well during the week to where Barbie is still the top film on Friday, is now 423 million domestically, well on its way to 500 million. Oppenheimer is sliding a 
a little bit, but that crossed 200 million with Friday's box office, actually. We had that really fun discussion last week about how it's still bad for theaters because it's not good to have a top heavy box office like this, but the overall numbers look much better than they did just, just a month ago. Yeah, we were talking last week also about AMC theaters worrying about its runway, whether or not it had the cash. The undeniable fact here is that even though it's because of just two films, this was the second best July on record. And I cannot tell you how important this is. This is the equivalent of somebody being on a hunger strike and then hitting a buffet. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was basically, necessary. yes. Yes. It cannot be undersold how much these movies, which are forever linked together, just save 2023's box office to date. We can fast forward five years and I can envision articles being written about how Barbenheimer saved the movie going experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't think those are going to be hyperbolic. No, not at all. Unfortunately, like, the wrong lessons will be learned from this. They always are. Yeah, we come to expect that. But this is a a, a good sign because it's going to be a bumpy ride because Blue Beetle ain't it. There is some Warner Brothers news that's positive, isn't there? Yeah. This weekend, we have two new openers. The first one is Meg 2, The Trench. And that had $12 million on Friday. That's the sequel to the 2018 giant mega shark movie that did surprisingly well, much of why this exists. Yeah, this is a good example of why some sequels shouldn't be made. The Meg is a brilliant film. It is visually stimulating and has a great plot. There are a bunch of times they subvert expectations. It's extraordinarily well done. And the quality of that film has bought the opening weekend of this film, which is frankly an objectively terrible film with a cinema score of B-. minus. Ooh, it is actually down the 12 million is actually less than what the Meg opened to back in August 2018. That started with 16.6 million on Friday, but that's to be expected given the, the nature of box office changing in the last several years. But yeah, that doesn't bode well for its future. Its weekend should be fine. What, maybe 27, 28 million? I think it's going to not quite get to 30 million so yeah that sounds right to me just looking at this analytically though all of the metrics on this are terrible it's got a tomato meat of score from top critics of 28 percent the audience score of 71 percent for an opening weekend that's bad kim and i were having this conversation yesterday and i told her there has been no buzz for this film no not at all this is going to be it's one day highlight and then it's going to be grim yeah, we might be over overestimating it too, since it, since it is terrible. But yeah, it exists because of the success of the of the first one. So you know, that's not a bad start. Along with Barbie, it is also a Warner Brothers movie. I don't have the budget info handy, but hopefully, it wasn't too too expensive. Yeah, budget of one hundred and twenty nine million. Oh no. Uh, well, it's gonna. We'll see how international box office is, and then make a determination from there. Let's say that three hundred million is the break even point, depending okay. on splits. I, I'm not optimistic right now. It feels like they were just like, yeah, let's go ahead and release it rather than they supported it at all. We also have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, like the 17th movie reboot of this franchise that goes back many, many years. But in a, in a huge upset, this movie is apparently outstanding. Yeah, the Rotten Tomatoes score has been mind-bending up in uh, the high 90s, like 96, 97%. 96% yeah. as we speak, 93% audience score, and a cinema score of A. This is a great film. And I feel like it's been trending with younger audiences. It's an animated movie, and they leaned into the kinetic animation style that we've seen in the animated Spider-Man movies. I was going to say, yeah, it definitely evokes the whole Spider-Verse film films with the animation style. So there was a lot of 
upshot for this movie, and yet it's not doing well at the box office. Yeah, I mean, you would maybe expect better, but again, it's that whole where just mid-tier stuff just is not doing what it should be doing, which is the concerning factor. Like I said, we're, we're saying box office has been saved by Barbie and Oppenheimer, but that you still need these middle-of-the-road films to do better. Yeah, by the way, this reboot is written by uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, so I, I'm not surprised that as someone who probably grew up with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise, that when he had the chance to to make make a movie, yeah, he, he went forward and, and did it right. The other thing I'm going to throw in here, we should remember, the conversation we're having about not having the middle tier is absolutely applicable here. This only has a budget of $70 million, though. They kept costs down on this, which means there is a path here for this one to be financially profitable. We're going to have to wait and see. This isn't the best start, but it's done okay overseas. Mm-hmm. So it's at least got a shot. Yeah, we, we haven't actually said anything yet. It actually opened on Wednesday, starting out with 10 million, and then it has a Friday of 9.3 million. So in three days, 24.3 million, not, not terrible, but you know, you were, you were hoping for better. But yeah, given that that budget, and then if word of mouth helps it hold through the month of August, then yeah, I can see a path for this being in, in the black. David, you and I discussed this offline earlier this week, but I think there's an argument for Hollywood postponing or even re-releasing some movies in light of the strike and also the Barbie Hammer runaway train here. I think we even touched upon it last week when we talked about Haunted Mansion, where Haunted Mansion really should have been a Halloween release and shouldn't maybe Disney consider re-releasing that movie in October like, like its summer release never happened. Should Tom Cruise, who is so desperate for for those IMAX screens, wait until the fall and then re-release Mission Impossible again. Are there movies right now that could have done better if Barbie Hammer just wasn't monopolizing the theaters at the moment? Tim, what is your instinct on this? I don't think it will happen, but it should happen. We've already had movies slated for later in the year be pushed out, either due to studios hedging their bed and wanting to stretch out their their, their content in, in the can should the strike be extremely prolonged, which signs are starting to point to at this point. Uh, and also maybe because, you know, things are bad, like the big one was Craven the Hunter getting uh, sent a year away, maybe because it needs some reshoots. But yeah, the, this is what they should be doing is to, yeah, put Haunted Mansion out in in October. If uh, there's, there's IMAX screen that uh, don't have anything extremely new and exciting to to show. Yes, see if Tom Cruise can you know can get Mission Impossible back into back into those IMAX theaters where he really wants it to be seen. The other thing I'll throw in with that particular film is maybe they do that a couple of months before the final film comes out, just as a That's way yep. to lead into them. Kim, mm-hmm. as Mrs. Haunted Mansion, the lover of this attraction. <laughs> Do you think an October release is going to change anything for a film that fell 73% Friday to Friday? I really don't. I would love to say yes, but I don't really foresee this being helped by having an October release. I think people would still perceive it as having failed at the box office because once you kind of have that stink on you, um, <laughs> it's it's pretty tough to get it off. I do think we could potentially see it on Disney Plus and they may rally around it in that way. But 
like Tim said, should some of these studios do this? Yes. Will they? No. Yeah. Not not that you can save Haunted Mansion at this point, but I mean, that would be a little bit of found money just, you know, for a couple of weeks in, in October before you have it show up on, on, on Disney Plus. If I'm Disney, the better play there is to release Hocus Pocus 2 in theaters this time. Oh, geez. I wonder if they could do that. Wow. I see no reason they couldn't. And I can hear it in your voice. You see that path too now, don't you? Yep. Yes, absolutely. I... If it happens, it's going to be a limited release the same way they do Nightmare Before Christmas every few years as a, you know, event viewing maybe for a weekend. If they move towards a wide re-release of anything, that would be somewhat unprecedented. But I'm on board with the idea that these are unprecedented times and it's time to do unprecedented things. Maybe they re-edit Haunted Mansion. Maybe that's what it takes for them to say it's an entirely new cut of the movie. So you may have seen it in July, but come in October, it's going to be a different haunted mansion and there is precedent for that let's remember that there was a deadpool 2 re-release called once upon a deadpool or something like that it was they made it a christmas film in the vein of princess bride and then they re-released it in that form it it is not something that we should discard as impossible at this point and you know to the film executives listening to this are going to hear about it secondhand what i'm telling you is right now the most important thing is agility you can not be stuck in convention right now. You have to be thinking in terms of what have we not tried. And the reason I don't necessarily believe in Haunted Mansion or even Mission Impossible this way is because I don't think the quality is quite there for that, even though I love the Mission Impossible film. Mission Impossible makes more sense in a lead up to the next thing because that is the criticism people have. It's a part one of two and it feels anticlimactic almost. It feels like it hasn't finished yet. Mm -hmm. Elemental is the only film on the summer schedule that I really feel confident if you gave it a second chance with the stronger push, it could do more because we've seen it become, you know, the number one film and Disney's ever had in South Korea. I mean, you know, there's weird things happening with Elemental because of its buzz and it's going to cross $150 million, which nobody had after its sub 30 million opening weekend. But that's happening because of what you're saying, Tim, and you're absolutely correct to say it. Everything we're seeing right now is different than what we saw before the pandemic. And if we don't adapt to that, if we don't adjust for it, we're screwing up. All right. Well, that was interesting discussion. Tim, how about the ratings? Hold on, Tim. Before we start the ratings, is Suits going to be a part of this conversation? Yes. I'm going to take a break. No, oh, come on. All right. <laughs> All right, we have the the Nielsen streaming ratings featuring suits for Monday, July 3rd to Sunday, July 9th, 2023. And your top original show, not a surprise, is The Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, 1.4 billion minutes for 15 total episodes. The first five episodes of the second season arrived on July 6th. So this is actually one, just a three-day number. And two, we're going to see this happen again in a month with the second half of the episodes, which came just this weekend as we're recording this August 3rd. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. Right now, the Matthew McConaughey movie, The Lincoln Lawyer, is not available on Netflix. So when it debuts, you can go ahead and write down another billion minutes that they're going to add for that. They have completely reinvigorated this franchise by turning it into a series which will have benefits down the line we can't even envision this is the second straight season that has proven wildly popular and it's doing so well that i'm actually wondering if netflix is gonna actually renew this for two or three seasons 
They should. I I know it's uh, based on a book series. The movie touches on one season of it, and then the series touches on another another book in the series. I'm sure, there's only a few more to go. I think. But I can see them being this, with this being such a huge hit. I can see them going ahead and and saying, "Go ahead, yeah, make make more." Another big hit for Netflix with a split season is in second. That was the show we saw top the list last week, The Witcher. About 1.2 billion minutes for 21 episodes. Uh, again, just five episodes arrived on June 29th. Three more will arrive on July 27th. So we'll see that shoot back up the top of the list as well. So I think we're going to see The Witcher shoot back to the top. And then the following week, the Lincoln Lawyer back on top again, just like we, we did these, these past two weeks. Pretty clever strategy in the end for Netflix to do these split mm-hmm. releases. They basically yep. dominate the charts at this point. Yep. And I 100% maintain they discovered this accidentally because shows had to stop production during the pandemic at the start of the pandemic. Uh, so then they released what they had of uh, a show or two and then put it the rest out later when they were able to finish the season and said, hey, look, wait, people will, will probably subscribe twice if we spread out a show rather than just drop the whole season of a really popular show at once. And then you know, as I'm sure they have their internal metrics where people will sub for a show and then unsubscribe you know, for the, just for one month. And then they'll jump back on with when there's a show they want to watch. And now they have to get definitely get two months of subscriptions from people. I'm not cynical at all. <laughs> Right. Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan is in therapy. So that returned last week as well. 966 million minutes. This one's from Prime Video. It's adding two episodes a week. So two more arrived on July 7th. The final two of the fourth and final season will arrive next week on the 14th. So actually, I think the Lincoln Lawyer may get the full week bump, but it should be pretty close between Jack Ryan and the Lincoln Lawyer for the top spot next week, unless I'm missing something completely obvious, but I don't believe so. The Bear from Hulu is in for 791 million minutes for 18 episodes. Uh, taking a jump, which we saw return last week, is it Cake 2? 755 million minutes for eight episodes, uh, the full week of the second season. Again, they, maybe because of the title, Nielsen is considering it a separate show from the first season. So this apparently only counts the second season's viewing and not the first one. Black Mirror from Netflix is six, 615 million minutes, 27 total episodes. And then in seventh from Disney Plus, here's Secret Invasion again, 426 million minutes now with three episodes. So this show is not gaining viewers and or turning them off. We had this discussion last week about it its quality, uh, but these numbers have actually been kind of flat. Even it started with one episode and was like, oh, that's a very good number. But now we're seeing a slightly less number with more episodes. That's not good. Yeah, I would say that's pretty disappointing. You'd hope it might gain a little bit of momentum. But again, it's not a good show. It's objectively Mm -hmm. not a good show. Although I will say episode three, it still hadn't really gone off the rails yet. So (laughs) the fact that people are still not like jumping on board to watch this is not a great sign. Yes. Okay. So the train wreck starts next week. All right. We have generally seen this with the shows that release weekly is they will at least have show some incremental growth as they add content. Even if people are only watching the, the new episode, you, you're definitely getting people. It's like, oh, okay, this is enough episodes now. I've got a couple hours. Let me binge this. And then it gets that binge bump as uh, we've been calling it at the end of the season when the whole show's out. But this is this is not what's supposed to happen with, with shows that add episodes week by week. Uh, returning after I thought it was seen for the last time in Atheist Ted Lasso, 417 million minutes for its 34 episodes from Apple TV Plus, of course. 
And ninth, still here, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, 351 million minutes for 14 episodes. Now, this is a show I would definitely expect to grow over the next couple of weeks because it's actually adding just one episode a week for its second season, and that's good. And I saw so many people talking about it when they had the crossover with Lower Decks a couple of weeks ago. You guys were super excited for this. And apparently this, the episode that came out this week was a musical. Am I seeing that right? That's right. They've been leading into the weird, quirky episodes this season. Yep, sure was, right. and it was magical. All right. So yeah, I, I'd expect that to 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 take a jump then. Good on you, Paramount Plus. You're you're trying. Yeah, I'd also say that Strange New Worlds is I feel like it's a very accessible show. I don't really know why. I guess maybe I think it's because the cast is really strong and likable, where some of the other Star Trek series recently maybe haven't quite had that same great group going for it, more just some individuals that are good. So this one might be a grower. I I wonder if it's because it's got characters that we're familiar with, at least through the the Star Trek lore. This is is the crew of the Enterprise pre-Kirk. Yeah. So, you know, you do have Spock, you do have Uhura, you do. Uhura, uh, Nurse Chapel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we know, we know Pike from some of the, you know, some of the yep. movies. So yeah, yep. I can, I, I can see what, what you mean there. Originals wraps up with Manifest from Netflix in 10th, 349 million minutes for 62 episodes, hopefully for the last time. I love the variety on the chart this week. There were only five Netflix shows in the mm-hmm. originals, and the other five shows were from five different streaming services. Hulu, Prime Video, Disney+, Plus, Apple TV+, Plus with the return of Ted Lasso, and Paramount+. Plus. And there is potential, of course. Peacock does tend to chart from time to time as well. We are starting to see a lot more diversity in the uh, streaming charts. Uh, I love seeing that. Yeah, it is good to see, as especially as we've gotten more, more data, because not all of these services were initially included in the Nielsen ratings, but yeah, that it that it's more widespread. Yeah, we've we've had uh, Peacock hit the originals chart once once or twice. I guess HBO Max can only land on acquired because their shows they if they simulcast them on HBO, Nielsen's counting them as acquired, and we don't have anything this this week from from them. But there's always a possibility for them there if they have something that 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 can break out. Movies is thankfully led by something from 2023. That is The Outlaws, 711 million minutes. This was the comedy starring uh, Adam Devine, Pierce Brosnan, which we, we we really liked the trailer, but the reviews were not great for it. Yeah, that's that's right. Once it came out, the reviews weren't great, but people will watch whatever on Netflix. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There yeah. you go. Yeah, this this uh, arrived July 7th, so this does just cover the weekend. So uh, if it didn't turn totally off, turn off audiences, uh, we might see it take a jump next week, but the full week. So this is just a... a weekend figure. And the other thing I've got to say follows up on last week's conversation when nothing in movies would have finished better than ninth mm-hmm. on Acquired. So it's just nice to see any movie doing this well this week. Yep. On their overall chart, The Outlaws would land 10th. <laughs> so it, it, you, you made it just barely. We've seen this before. In second, returning to Netflix, Titanic, 421 million minutes. Yeah, it came back to Netflix on on July first. This this sure. has happened, this has happened before, and of course, this was you know some hilarious timing with you know remember about a month ago the uh, the people who tried to see the wreckage and it didn't go well, and then it's been eighty four years and it's still charting. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. I'm clutching my pendant as I say that. It's just funny. It's returned to Netflix before and then goes away. I, I don't know why some of these movies are just hilarious hot potatoes between the services, but yep, it's back on Netflix 
as of July 1st. All right, something else new in third, 65, 367 million minutes. This was a theatrical release from earlier this year, starring Adam Driver. It's a prehistoric action thriller, sci-fi stuff with, I guess, dinosaurs and something. And I forgot it actually came out till it showed back up on this list. I mentally refer to it as Earth 2 without Will Smith or Will Smith's kid. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I thought of as well. <laughs> beyond earth or something like that yeah oh no okay yeah this this was a box office disappointment yeah here it is on on netflix this actually is a was new to netflix for this uh for for this week apparently it showed up on on the 8th so this was just here's a new movie netflix pushes the hell out of those so we might see this go actually go higher not next week uh, Avatar The Way of Water is still hanging on pretty well. Again, Disney Plus and Max, 365 million minutes. An old movie appearing on the list, White House Down, 266 million minutes. This is, of course, because, again, we have a new month. This came back to Netflix on July 1st. But we do have one other new release this week, thankfully, and that is Nimona in six from Netflix, 262 million minutes. I saw a lot of people talking about this one. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet, though I want to. It's based on a graphic novel, and mm-hmm. I have seen really good... Re- I mean, it got great reviews, has had good responses, and I'm sure I will get to it eventually. Just when is the question, as always? <laughs> of course, yes. There's too much content, not enough time. Uh, the, yeah. bad, the bad news here is this is the full week for it. It arrived mm-hmm. on Netflix on June 30th. So we didn't see it last week, but with the full seven days since its release, it managed just enough minutes to make the, the Nielsen's. So this disappointing number, but I have definitely saw people mention this and, and heard some good things about it. From Disney Plus, Moana in seven, 260 million minutes. Extraction 2, back to Netflix, 257 million minutes in eighth. Uh, something new, well, new to Netflix, but not not a new movie. Annihilation from 2018, 243 million minutes. This it also returned to Netflix on June 30th. Oh, okay. Yeah, the That's sci-fi. the only thing that makes sense about, I mean, yeah. I, I'm here to say that I love the author of that book. Jeff Vandermeer is great, mm-hmm. but the movie is off-putting and I'm surprised that it even did that well. Yeah, this was the uh, the sci-fi movie with uh, with Natalie Portman. I definitely remember when it when it came out. Is good people were like they thought it was going to be like some action hero or something like that, and it was just some very weird like it was just a weird vibe to it that turned people off. I remember that much. And movies wraps up with something we saw new last week: Run Rabbit Run, two hundred twenty two million minutes. Okay, acquired is ten shows we've seen before. Once again, led by Suits. Coming in with 3.6 billion minutes viewed. Why? Okay. <laughs> They're running out of champagne at we, Peacock headquarters. <laughs> apparently, yes, exactly. Yes, look look how many people are watching Suits. And yeah. Yeah, I, I wish I had the actual breakdown. I wanted because it is credited to Netflix and Peacock, but we know this, this is mostly Netflix. But that is just a ridiculous, absolute insane number. For this show, I... Guess this is a discussion that we need to have. Does streaming have a comfort food problem? Because I always say, like, oh, look how popular yep. all those are. And of course, part of it is because, okay, here's Grey's Anatomy, 417 episodes. NCIS, 443 episodes. Right. Uh, and Big Bang yeah. Theory. Back in the day, it was Criminal Minds, which, yeah. you know, I don't know how people see as comfort food, but they do. I I, I really think they do and enjoy just watching it in the background. I, 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 yeah. I think that's a lot of I, it. I think we all do it in our own way we put something that we're familiar with on if we don't have time to sit down and watch something new we don't have you know i oh i had a rough day i don't have the 
you know, brain power to focus on something, you know, I'm just going to put something on. I do a couple of things around the house and then go to bed. I'm the same way with my background noise for the last almost four years now has been Mystery Science Theater 3000 because it's just something that I, I'm used to. And then, you know, if there's something I really need want to want to focus on, yeah, I'll, I'll find the time for that. But that just gets harder and harder. Like, you know, the other argument here is people do want a long running show with characters they can, you know, get used to watch grow and evolve over the course of, you know, seven seasons of a show rather than here's a, a Netflix show with eight episodes that I'm going to have to wait two years for the next season if there is one. And then maybe there won't be one beyond the second season. So why would I get invested in this? This is amazing and also horrible for the streamers. I just don't know what else to say about this. Yeah, I touched on this uh, over the last couple of weeks. This is really a nightmare scenario for Hollywood, but also a potential for them, but not really a great potential. The fact of the matter is that old library content is much more popular than new original content. And when it costs tens of millions of dollars to create a single episode of a show, Secret Invasion, and you realize, but you can get 136 episodes of Suits for the fraction that it would cost <laughs> you to produce a single episode of Secret Invasion. It begs the question why a Hollywood studio would want to create new content. Why even deal with those annoying writers and actors who want more money? It's like, let's just become a licensing house that relicenses content instead of creating new content. And yes, that is a way to make money for these studios, but then you you're left wondering, oh my God, are they never going to create anything new ever again? We are in a weird dichotomy right now that is going to break one way or another. We just happen to be in the middle of it. And it's 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 kind of scary. Yeah. Like I, I said, the rest of the list is it's not nothing new this uh, returning this this week. Bunk isn't here anymore, thankfully. Uh Yellowstone does creep back on. That's Peacock in 10th, 424 million minutes. That being the floor for the acquired chart, it went from always interesting, like, oh, look how many people watch all these these old shows with a million episodes. Like that's a problem. And this is likely one of the, the sticking points regarding like, you know, residuals with the the, the the strikes as well. How much money are are the people involved in these shows really getting from the ridiculous popularity of them now? Sure, when they were on syndication on broadcast, sure, that that made you a lot of money. This maybe not so much and they the actors and writers are going to want a bigger piece of that and that's about all i have for this week as far as the ratings go so yeah it's it's definitely uh, in interesting times I, I expect the lincoln lawyer to take a little bit of a, a jump next next week with the full week of availability as always we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy lately and david and i have actually been able to watch quite a few things but i know we mentioned star trek strange new worlds earlier in the episode and last week and we have in fact been going back and watching season one which is great like i mentioned earlier in the show all the characters are extremely likable there's a great dynamic and spark within the cast itself it's also episodic rather than like having a necessarily long overarching story which i think makes it easily digestible as mentioned this week's musical episode was a lot of fun i am a big fan of musicals and i like that they threw several of the conceits of musicals into that episode and acknowledged that they were kind of going for that formula there. It was very meta in that respect. It's one of the better shows on television at the moment, or 
on streaming, I guess I should say. Raul, how about you? There's actually been a lot of great live content on television lately. Of course, the Women's World Cup is happening in Australia and New Zealand right now. And fortunately for me, most of those games are happening somewhere in the vicinity of about 3 a.m. But uh, when I do get to watch them, that is entertaining event viewing. At the same time, as we told you on what's new in streaming a few weeks back, Lollapalooza is on Hulu this weekend from uh, earlier this week on Thursday. Until Sunday, you can watch most of the acts of Lollapalooza live on Hulu. And also ESPN2 has carried on a tradition where ESPN2 becomes ESPN8, the Ocho. This is, of course, off uh, <laughs> themed off of a one-off joke from the movie Dodgeball, a true underdog story that premiered in theaters in 2004. They've been doing this about once a year for 20 years where they show you weird and quirky sports and some that I really suspect they made up just for the Ocho, like Slippery Stairs. That can't be a real competition. It aired on Friday and Saturday. One of the highlights on the Ocho this week was Cornhole. This is actually a, a sporting event that you can see frequently on ESPN. ESPN or ESPN2. They had a cornhole competition. And the weirdness about it is that Shamar Moore, the star of SWAT, one of the shows on the acquired list, is apparently quite a competitive cornhole player. And he won the competition on the Ocho this week. All right, Tim, how about you? Uh, I don't have too much this week. I am going to watch SummerSlam later this evening as we record this for the one, possibly two good matches. Uh, Last week, NXT had their premium live event, as they're called now, because it's on Peacock and not a pay-per-view called The Great American Bash, which had one pretty good match and one actually outstanding match. Carmelo Hayes or Ilya Dragunov is actually something I would recommend going out of your way to watch. That was just ridiculous. NXT is a far cry from what it was with all the guys that they they have, which are now pretty much AEW, but you know, they still have some some gems here and there. Uh, I am also have been contemplating pulling the trigger on buying Baldur's Gate 3, which apparently just came out this week and was apparently early access for a while, but it's already got somehow, I don't know how this this is possible, but 86,000 reviews on Steam and it, it is overwhelmingly positive. So that might be worth it, especially since I should have actual free time this upcoming week, unlike the last one I was promised and I ended up working a bunch more, but I may go ahead and see and sink my teeth into that if I I can be convinced to to purchase it as a new game. Okay. And David, how about you? Yeah, Kim already touched on it. Basically, you can probably hear it in her voice. Historically, she's more of a Star Wars fan and I'm more of a Star Trek fan. She is 100% behind the wheel on us watching all of the Star Trek Strange New Worlds episodes. She is head over heels in love with the cast and I get it. They're all terrific. I think that if you ask 10 people watching this show who their favorite character was, you'd probably get six or seven different answers. We go back and forth on it. I think mine currently is the doctor, but I'm not even sure about that. And the captain, Anson Mount, he was apparently introduced in season two of Star Trek Discovery, and he's a revelation here. He's best known for the Feld Marvel's Inhuman show on ABC that was just a disaster. Turns out this guy is magic, absolute magic. And the way they are reinventing Star Trek forcibly reminds me of something we're also witnessing right now on our PlayStation. I know that's a weird segue, but they're redoing Final Fantasy Seven right now. And one of the core conceits of Final Fantasy Seven is that Aerith, the flower girl, dies in the original story. And they've basically spelled it out. Hey, we might not do that. Maybe we will. 
it is entirely up to us. It is 25 years later. We have the right to create our own story and go our own way. Strange New Worlds is set right before the start of Star Trek, the original series, and they're just shouting from the rafters, maybe we'll do something different. We haven't said it's the same universe. Probably is, but you don't know. And I love that. And I love how reverential they are. And the musical episode has one particular song by Christina Chong. And Kim will tell you, I am actively obsessed with it. It's the same person who did the musical episode of The Magicians. And you can tell that person is a genius. Kim, I'm just going to ask you, Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, what's the best episode? The crossover with Lower Decks, the musical episode, or the time-traveling episode where she meets alternate universe Kirk? I mean, they're all good. I would probably have to go with the crossover, but, you know, I might change my mind on a different day. That's where I am with it. For me, it's probably the time travel episode, but all three of them are 10 out of 10 television, and we're kind of kicking ourselves that we weren't watching this show from the beginning. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 